Before we open God's word together, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know so little. We are so small. And yet, thou art so great. And to think that even in the simple act of prayer, we are given a, a passageway, a, a, a communication line directly to the throne of the entire universe. That our prayers can be as effective as thou art, as powerful as thou art, because they call on thy power, not on our own. Heavenly Father, there are many things that we could pray for this morning. There are many that are struggling with uh, difficulties. We've heard already this morning of loss and grief and also of sickness and calamity. Heavenly Father, thou art able to provide. Thou art the loving Father in heaven. And so, Heavenly Father, we know that thou art not only loving but also wise, and thou wilt do what is best. And so, these petitions that we bring unto thee, we place in thy hands, knowing that that is the very best place for them to be. Be with us now, Heavenly Father, as we would look into thy word. Help us to understand what we read. Grant us childlike hearts to receive the truth that is there and to follow thee, as thy word says, as little children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, my thoughts turned to the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel. So if you'll turn to me there, Luke chapter 18. I'd like to read from the beginning of the chapter. <clears throat> and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge who feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect? which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray the one a Pharisee, and the other a publican. 
The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer, little children, to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. I read until the 17th verse. For us this morning is a familiar one. Uh, I think I may have even preached on it before as well from this pulpit. But there was something in my heart that this morning that kind of pushed me to turn to this chapter. And it's that message in the latter half of what we read about the little children. Children are often in a hurry to grow up. They don't want to be children. They want to be big. My brother used to say when he was a young guy, when I was older, They always want to be older than they are. They count years by the halves, at least, or three-quarters. But there's something important about children and their attitudes that Christ wanted to point out here in the middle of a very advanced religious system with a lot of nuance and fine details. He said, look, do you know who God's really looking for in the middle of all of this? little children. That's what he's looking for. And so as we read this together, the Lord prompted me, I believe, in, in some ways to, to look at this. And because we have a choir program this morning, I'd like to try to keep the message a little shorter. So perhaps, as I mention these things, you can ponder on them in your heart as well when you depart this place in your own time of meditation. The first part we read was about an unjust judge. Christ often used stories that were shocking, unexpected. You expect a judge to be just. You expect a judge to be impartial. We have on the front of our courthouses the figure of blind justice personified as a woman blindfolded holding scales. But this judge was none of that. He was unjust. It's specifically about him. He was unjust. And there was a widow that had a just cause. Someone was taking advantage of her. 
And so she went to the right place. She went to the judge. He was the one who could provide for her what she was looking for, justice. But of course, he was unjust. And perhaps when she came the first time, he was expecting a bribe. He was expecting some kind of a payment to hear her case. But being a widow, she was very poor and had nothing for him. And so he turned her away. But she came again and again and again and again and again. Until finally, this judge, and we have commentary from him, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Any of you that have children know that you do not have to teach children this technique. They know how to ask again and again and again and again, hoping to weary you. But Jesus, in his inimitable way, turns this around and shows us that if the unjust judge would hear the continual plea of one that was coming to him again and again, would not a loving father do the same for his children? Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? But notice the next verse. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Now that's what we would all like to see, isn't it? We like to see swift justice, at least where others are concerned. For ourselves, maybe not so much. But for others, we would like to see swift justice. But then Jesus says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And for some reason, in my mind, I always divorced that last portion of the verse from the story above it. I always thought that was something like to do with the falling away and the end times and so on. But I don't really think that's it. Will he find this kind of faith that asks continually in the face of not receiving speedy justice? Will we continue to ask as little children ask for something they really, really want? Will the Son of Man find that kind of faith? Because things will be very dark in those last days. It will look like there is only an unjust judge and there is no one righteous. But we need to continually call on our Father even though we don't see results immediately or don't see results in the way that we expect, perhaps. Then he switches to another parable and talks about a Pharisee and a publican. And, of course, in this example, it's very clear to see who is on the side of right and who is on the side of pride and wrong. But how often 
maybe not audibly, do we pray a prayer similar to what that Pharisee said? God, I do this. God, I'm there at church when the doors are open. God, I pray. God, I tie. Why is this happening to me? Don't I deserve better? Shouldn't things be going my way for a change? Shouldn't there be some kind of a compensation for my faithfulness? That hits a little closer to home. I've never prayed a prayer like this publican, but some of the attitudes perhaps that he's had in his heart, I can find in mine. And so like a child, I need to come back to the position of the publican here and say, God, I, I began with nothing. I still have nothing. And the only thing I can ask for is not compensation for service, but mercy. There was a great preacher hundreds of years ago, and he lay on his deathbed. And his friends were gathered around him to comfort him in his final hours. And one leaned forward to encourage him and to say, you go to receive your reward. And he said, no, no. I go to receive mercy. Mercy. That's what I need. I deserve nothing. Even the Apostle Paul, when you, when you look at his life, his attitude, what he went through. And at the end of all that, he says, look, if we've done everything, if we've done all, we ought to say we're unprofitable servants. We only did what we were supposed to do. Yesterday, we were at the church picnic. When we first got there, I headed over to the restrooms, the public restrooms that were there, and there was a young guy on one of those little Kubota mules or whatever parked, and he, he drove up to that restroom, and he parked around the back side of it. And I went into the restroom, and there was no soap in the restroom, so I went back out to the guy. I'm not a f- shy to ask, I guess. And I said, oh, you know, the men's restroom is out of soap. Would you mind uh, restocking it? And, of course, when I came up to him, he kind of looked up, because he had hidden his vehicle behind the restrooms and he was busy with his phone out on the seat, hoping that the supervisor wouldn't see him. And of course, you know, you go, well, man, I wouldn't want to hire a guy like that. But then I think about myself sometimes. And when I make excuses for for me time, I'm a servant. My time is not my own. Even if I do everything, I'm unprofitable. Shouldn't that mean something? Or do I make excuses sometimes for myself as well? To put it all in perspective, finally, Jesus has those little children. And and this scene it, it touches me, partially because I guess I have small children as well. And children, when they know you, 
They don't think twice about interrupting what's going on. They just go straight to you. They depend on that relationship that they have with you. Sometimes maybe familiarity breeds contempt, and that's a problem too. But there's something really touching about a small child, especially, that doesn't know about social mores and how in the middle of a bunch of adults that are much bigger than they are, they see someone they know, and they go right to them. They don't care who's, who's around or who's watching or whether or not it's a good time. They see someone that they know and love, and they go right to them. And when I think about Jesus, as I get older, I realize how young he really was. When you're in your 40s, 30s is young. There he was, surrounded by those big men. And it says in another place that women brought children, that he would bless them. What was it about Jesus that made him so approachable? The children were not afraid of him. The sinners were not put off by him. This is, I believe, what a spirit-filled man or woman should look like. Christ is the pattern, so approachable under almost any circumstance. They knew he would not turn them away. The disciples tried. The disciples said, not now. We have a lovely hymn in the junior hymnal that kind of outlines that in the form of a story. And I think we can all identify with that. We can, we can understand that, that picture. Sometimes you have to wonder at the things that are recorded in God's word, the most important book in the universe, and the story about little children coming to Jesus to be blessed makes it in there. 30 years well, 20-some 20, 20 years at least, of Jesus' youth and adolescence receives no mention in Scripture, but a story about children is there for us. Why? It wasn't important that we know what happened during his youth and adolescence. It was more important that we understand what the Father's heart is towards children than all of that. Suffer little children to come unto me. What a thought. The children could give Christ nothing. Nothing. They didn't come to butter him up. They didn't come to find fault. They didn't come to give him things like some of the women ministered to him. They simply came because of who he was. That made the difference. My friend outside of Christ, who do you think you are? It's a difficult question. One that maybe some of you are still grappling with. The Pharisee thought he knew who he was. He thought he was religious. He thought he was in the right. 
He thought he was doing the things that God expected of him. He thought he knew. One of the things I find refreshing about children and very endearing is that children do not have that air of skepticism that adults do. If you make a claim or tell an adult something, they will often, at least by body language perhaps and sometimes by words, say, how do you know that? Modern times on the internet, we call it fact-checking. But children, children depend on the relationship so much that they take what you have to tell them and they believe it. They simply accept it. Shocking to an adult. We would call that naive. Naive unless you consider the source. Remember that. Naive unless you consider the source. I would call you very naive if you treated humans like that, other men and women. But when the source is the eternal God, you can take that without even a speck of skepticism. Why? Because everything else is so shifting so unstable. Many of you have gone through years of school. You think you know things. But the interesting thing is, how do you know that you know? How certain can you be of the knowledge that you've received? Have you fact-checked everything that you've heard? Even things you think you know about yourself, are you really sure? I was talking with my children last night um, during our short devotion time. And we got talking about how do we know that God is. And I said, there's two ways that I have tested God. One is what he says about this world. We just finished watching a nature documentary. That was kind of the context. What I see in this world is so incredible, so unique, so finely balanced that to me it seems impossible that these things could have proceeded simply from chance, chance and time. That's one way. But I said the other way is that what he tells me about myself I find to be true. And that to me is perhaps the greater proof. What he tells me about myself, because the older I get, the more unsure I get about the world around me about people, about situations, even about some of the things that I think I knew. But what he tells me about myself, that rings true. And as we've been stepping through Romans and and looking at the different chapters, the things that are recorded in, uh, in God's word about a man apart from God and then a man with God, I have tested and I find them to be true. And so what remains for me is what we finished with in that final verse. Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. That's not a one-time thing, brother and sister. That's something that needs to be done every day. A return 
to that childlike trust, a stripping away of layers of adult sophistication that our, that our culture puts upon us, and a simple resting and, tr- and trusting, a, a, a simple asking again and again, as this widow did, to not grow, grow weary in asking even. Though we may feel we've prayed for something time and time again and the Lord hasn't answered. Ask like a child. Think like a child. Forgive like a child forgives. Don't seek for, for prominence and position like adults do. But humble yourself and God will exalt you. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. Amen.